Colossians chapter 3, we've been, uh, if you'll turn there, we've been discovering how the new self is different than the way we used to be. If, is everybody here okay with the fact that you're drastically different than you used to be? Your new self is different than your old self, and that's good. The Bible says, I mean, you've got to think, when we were born again, we, we use that term very, very often, and maybe you've forgotten what that means, to be born again. It means to be born again. Now, you can't, I, I mean, maybe you always fantasized about being a spy or something and leading two lives, but the reality of it is you were designed to live one life, and that one life to him. I love when the Apostle Paul said, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He doesn't give a third option. If I'm going to live, it's Christ. If I'm going to die, I'll gain something. But I don't have to, to live as Christ, to die as gain, or else there's vacation time. Let me just tell you, that's great too. No, to live is Christ. And if I'm going on vacation, I'm going with him. And it's going to be better because he's there. And if that lifeguard needs prayer, I'm going I'm to pray for that lifeguard. I'm not going to leave my Bible at home and say, well, I'll get back to it when I get home. Man, what better vacation than to have a vacation with a Bible in your hand? If you think this is work, you're going to be sadly disappointed in heaven. I'm, well, no, you won't. Nobody will be disappointed in heaven. You'll learn something new in heaven. If you think this is work, I, 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 then, then this would be hard. This would be difficult. But Jesus didn't have separate categories of life. He didn't have work and play. He, he had rest. But in that rest, he was still in the presence and the spirit of God. He was still doing his Father's will. He said, I do nothing. Unless, I, unless the Father tells me to do it, I say nothing unless I hear him say it. So even when he's resting, he's resting in the Lord. Even when he's, when he's preaching, he's not saying, this is my day job, but I can't wait till I'm off work. To him, it was just life. Whether he was fishing or teaching, going to the temple or resting, it was life in the Spirit. We've separated our life into work and play. And maybe when you first got born again, church was almost like play. It was fun. And a certain amount of time, people expected you to show up, and, and you had some roles in the church, and you started treating it like work, and instead of being excited about it, you said, well, I need a break. I can't wait for this to be over. That's a sad way to live. You've got to live in the life and the grace of God, the Spirit of God, where you look forward to every day because He's in that day. And if, he, if, I use, if I'm called, if I'm going to clean the bathrooms, like I said, I'm going to do it in the strength that he gives, and I'm going to pray that his presence would be with me as I do it, I'm going to have a good time. Life is different. In Colossians 3, he also talks about the fact that you've put on a new self that's been created in a different image. So it's being renewed according to the no, true knowledge of the one who created you, a renewal in which there is no distinction between slave and free, Jew and Greek, Barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and Christ in all. Last week we talked about how, or I'm sorry, a week before last, we talked about how crazy it would have been not only to a Jew to be compared to a Greek or a Greek to a Jew because already the Greeks think they're intellectually superior, the Jews think they're religiously superior, but then you have to go and insult them and compare them to barbarians. If that weren't enough, you compare them to the super barbarians, the Scythians. Barbarians are one thing. Scythians are like barbarians time three. Not only do you have to be compared to them, but I believe it'd be expected if you were in that church, and if you're in this church, that when that Scythian comes to your church, you're not allowed 
to just say, well, he's different than me. He'll find people like him in the church. They'll get together. They'll have their group. I'll have mine. Because the Bible says that when we put on the new self, those distinctions go away because Christ is all and Christ is in all. You No longer do you make distinctions according to the flesh. You don't get to say, well, that culture, will, they have their little group and we have our little group and that age group has their little group and we have our little group. There is one church, one call, one faith, one baptism and can I tell you the most beautiful thing about being a Christian, not the most, but one of them, is the fact that God puts you with radically different types of people and you love them and you find out that you have something great in common and that's Christ is in me and he's in you and that's all I need. Some of my best friends in life are nothing like me. And before I really got turned on to Jesus, I didn't really have any desire to hang around with those people because we had nothing in common. Sure, I love the Lord, and sure, I, I, I was happy about his word, and, you know, I liked coming to church, but there really wasn't that burning fire to talk about him outside of church or, or to, to get into those things. It was just this was kind of a... Uh, you know, a thing we did, and it was part of life, but when I really got excited about Jesus, my friends changed. And I found that some of the people that I was most connected with had nothing in common with me outside of the fact that we both really loved Jesus. And that was all that really mattered. We developed other interests because the more you hang out with people, the more you develop common interests. But that initial foundation, and if that foundation ever left, the whole house would crumble that initial foundation was a mutual love and passion for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was the bond. The Holy Spirit has poured out His love in us. And that love is the perfect, the Bible calls it the perfect bond of unity. It's the bond. So we're going to move on from that point. If you remember from a couple weeks ago in chapter 3, there are things He tells you to lay aside. There are things He tells you to put on. That's all through the New Testament. Put this aside, put this on. You may say, well, God will do what he, with me what he wants to do with me. But the truth of the matter is, he tells you to do this. Lay this aside. You, put this on. He doesn't say, when you got born again, I, I forced you into the full armor of God. Every morning, I wrestle you in your sleep and just jam you into every space and ratchet it tight so that you can barely breathe. And whether you like it or not, you've got that full armor of God on. No. Says, put on the full armor of God. If you don't have the full armor of God, you're going to be lacking in battle. But he says, once the full armor of God is on, you will be able. He says, you will be able. This is Ephesians 6. He says, you will be able three times. He says, you will be able. You will be able to stand. You will be able to resist. You will be able to extinguish every fiery dart of the evil one. When you do this, when you put it on, he doesn't say, you know what, just stand there and God will make it happen. God has already given you the armor. He gave you the armor. The Bible says, in fact, in 2 Peter, it says that he has already granted you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Whether or not you walk into it is your decision, whether you're going to obey or disobey, believe or unbelieve. You've got to choose. As God said to the Old Testament saints, well, the Israelites, not all of them turned out to be saints. But he says to the Israelites, he says, I set before you this day life and death, choose life. Blessing and cursing. A lot of this Christian life is what you choose to put on and what you choose to lay aside. What you choose, as, as the sermon said in the last 
the video message that you watched last week, uh, Brother Moore said, you know, there are things you've got to yield to and there's things you've got to resist. You don't just let these things happen to you. I yield to joy. I resist the devil. I yield to the, oh, I yield to the Spirit of God. I resist the devil. I yield to joy. I resist discouragement. And when you do these things, thank God, his words working in his life's working with you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're learning about a new life, a new self. Let me give you some background in this culture that we're reading about. Uh, things aren't the way they were today, and they weren't the way they should be. If you recall what the disciples said to Jesus, they said, when are you setting up your kingdom on earth? That basically meant, when are you going to come and force everybody to do things your way? There will be a day when that happens. There will be a day when that happens. The Bible talks about it. It says the lion will lay down with the lamb. It says that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. We're not there yet. You want to test that theory? Put a lion in the same pen with a lamb. <laughs> Look around. Wars and rumors of wars. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it was prophesied that it would be in this time but it's not the end this is not the way it will look when the messiah rules with that rod of iron he said it's not for you to know the times of the epoch but here's what i will tell you you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you You will be in fact he says you will be clothed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's exactly what happened. We understand the kingdom of God is not ruling this whole earth yet, but it is ruling and reigning in us. It should be. So the church here in Colossae were not in a perfect culture. They were not in a perfect system. Do you notice that the gospel didn't seek to overthrow that system? Rather, it sought to put His system in our hearts so that we'd live different. When we live different, it affects the world around us. Do you notice the Apostle Paul didn't spend all his time mounting military coups trying to overthrow the Roman government? Instead, they taught the kingdom. They spread the kingdom, and the kingdom spread in the hearts of men. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, compares the kingdom to, uh, he compares it to some yeast that you put in a, a loaf of bread, and pretty soon it spreads, and it spreads, it spreads. There are more than one parable that he speaks of where that kingdom is meant to expand. It starts out small, like a mustard seed, and it expands. This kingdom always has started out small and expanded at a great rate. When people get a hold of it and let it rule in their life. Uh, the Bible says, Paul said it to the Thessalonian church, he said, um, I pray, and, and I want you to pray with me, that, the, that this gospel, that this word would spread rapidly and would prevail even as it did in you. And that's something, I'm sorry, I said prevail, but it said be glorified just as it did in you. That's an important point, that the gospel was meant to spread and be glorified in us. If it's glorified in us, if it wins in us, as we found in Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, if it wins in us, it prevails in our cities. If it wins in us, it wins in our nation. But we first got to let it win in us. We can't expect the world to fall down and worship the king and, and believe the word and let it prevail in their lives if we're not even letting it rule in our lives. It's got to spread. We want the kingdom to expand in Lloydminster. First, let it expand in your heart. 
Let the kingdom spread to your job. And without, before you look around at your workmates, before you look at your boss, look at you. How do you do your work? How do you approach your work? As unto the Lord or as unto man? Do you do just the bare minimum or do you do it to glorify God? You see, if it can't win at your job with you, how's it going to win with your employer or, or with your, your workmates, your colleagues? If it can't win in your marriage, how can it win in your children? You've got to let it win everywhere. We've got to be radical about this and say the word is true in all aspects. Not just my Sunday life, but Monday through Saturday as well. So here's what it says. Chapter 3, he moves on to relationships between one another. Because we put on a new self. So this is the prefix. We've put on a new life, a new self. We approach it differently. Did you know he w- this was in a culture where women didn't have much of a place? This was in a culture where there was a high class and a low class and a middle class. The low class were a class of people that we would call in Greek dolos that, that were very low, that were um, basically slaves. Some of them were paid, but that was their lot in life. They were going to be working for these people for the rest of their life. That was what they were going to do. They were never uh, aspiring to own their own land. Maybe you could someday... Maybe the hope would be that if you, did, if you served your master well enough, someday when he died, he would bequeath you some land. You could start out and be a free man and start your own. But for most of them, this was their life. They were born into it. This would be the rest of it. Nobody dared to address them. When the philosophers spoke, they weren't speaking to the common man. They were speaking to the educated man. You have to understand how radical this is. You may not realize it. But as many times in the New Testament as God addresses rulers, even more so he addresses slaves. You may say he's bossing slaves around more than kings. No, no, you don't understand. This gospel put those slaves on equal terms with everybody else and says God has a plan for you. God has a word for you. And God cares enough about you to name you in his letters, to put you as important members of the church in the previous Verses that we read, he said there's no distinction between slave and free man. We are all equal in the eyes of God. If Christ is in us, he's in all of us. So you're not allowed to treat different people differently. James approaches, the book of James talks about churches that had gotten back into the habit of giving poor people the back seats and rich people the front seats. He said that can't happen in God's church. You give them the best seats. You treat them alike. You may not know how the women were treated at the time. Some women had some influence, some didn't. But they weren't treated anywhere close to equal. It was a radical and revolutionary thing in Jesus' day that some of his most influential followers were women. Now, he had the 12 disciples. They were all men. I don't believe Jesus had a girlfriend or a wife. That's silly. Don't you think that would have come up somewhere? Now, I know they just uncovered a document that was written like a long time after Jesus died in Egypt. And it mentions a wife. Don't you think these other guys, I mean, I know maybe you can be a conspiracy theorist and thought, well, yeah, it was a big cover-up. No, it wasn't a cover-up. Truth is, Jesus had a mission. He carried it out. Nevertheless, he spoke about marriage. Paul, unmarried, yet he spoke about marriage. Before I got married, people said, how can you counsel married people You're not married. I said two of the best 
teachers on marriage in the Bible were Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Neither one of them married. I hope I can do a good job. Because if we're going to tell anybody something, it's by the wisdom of God. Not purely by experience, but by the word of God. I've, I, I don't need to say this is what I've experienced. I'm going to tell you what the word says. Now, my experiences have, thank God, proven out the word. And maybe I'll throw in a story or two about my marriage when, you know, when I'm counseling. But for the most part, the wisdom really comes from God. We've spent a lot of time before we've ever started reading something. Let's get reading. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, of course, like every scripture, you can abuse this, you can misuse this. In the sister book, the sister letter to this letter that we often compare because they, they're, they're very similar themes, Ephesians 5 talks about this very same thing. Talks about wives being subject to the husbands. The verse before puts it in perspective. He says, all of you be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So if you were to abuse this verse and make it sound like the husband had a right to dominate and, and control the woman, then you have to explain to me how the whole church is allowed to dominate and control one another. That wouldn't make sense. Does that sound like the love of God? No. We know that the woman came out of man's side, not under his feet. We know that he's, the scripture says in Christ there is no male or female. Nevertheless, in the, in the home there was a godly order. That's a good thing. Doesn't mean, they're, doesn't mean they're unequal, doesn't mean the husband's better, doesn't mean the wife's worse. It doesn't mean anything like that. It meant that there was a godly order, there was a head, there was somebody who had a job to lead, but really that leadership job was a job to serve. And you see it all through the scripture. He tells husbands in Ephesians 5, lay down your lives for your wives. That is the opposite of dominating and controlling. Lay down your lives for them. Thank God, God gave me a beautiful wife who is intelligent, loves the Lord, is creative. And you know what? I consider her my partner. That partnership is equal in the eyes of God. We're both just as loved by God, and we both have something we bring to the table. Nevertheless, I've got a role to play. The buck stops here. There's a time where the husband needs to stand up and guard that family and lead that family. He says, it's fitting in the Lord. And then he says, he doesn't stop the wives. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Notice it's not just the dad. It's, all, it's both parents. Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The all things is important, isn't it? We all can say amen loudly because none of us are kids anymore. But it's not. <laughs> I remember... Um, learning the difference between being obedient in the flesh and being obedient in the spirit when I was a kid. Uh, when I had to take out the garbage, there was a certain way I would take out the garbage that would get the job done but with a bad attitude. Just a rotten attitude, stunk just as bad as the garbage where you go out and you're grumbling, you're complaining, you say, that little sister of mine doesn't do anything. You know what? If she wasn't born, I'd have the same amount of work, just less spankings in life. I love her. You understand that a bad attitude is a bad attitude. It's a wrong attitude. It causes you to do, do and say stupid things. But I remember thinking, man, I do all the work around here. I, nah, nah, nah. Well, it wasn't true, but I thought I did. Rebellion's not supposed to make sense. You look at the Israelites going to the promised land. You know, did God bring us out here to kill us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Really? Come on. 
Yeah, there weren't enough graves in Egypt. He thought it would be a funny prank. Take you out here, let you die. Now, rebellion doesn't make sense. Even though I was getting the job done, taking the garbage out, my heart wasn't right. The book of Philippians says, do all things, all things, without grumbling or complaining. All things. You know, you might show up to help paint those windows, but be grumbling the whole time. Man, I can't believe more people didn't show up. It's always me. It's always me. It's always, always me. I don't know why, but they know. They can just call me and I'll show up, you know. Your reward might be less than it could have been. The Apostle Paul said, when I preach the gospel, he says, I have to preach. He says, there's no choice for me not to preach. i got to preach. It was given to me by the Lord. He says, woe is me if I don't. But he says, here's the deal. If I do it willingly, I get a reward. If I do it unwillingly, he says, either way I'm going to do it. But if I do it with a bad attitude, it's a stewardship that's entrusted to me, and it's just a job i got to get done. But if I do it willingly, with joy, there's a reward for that. You know, you've got to live with the fact that you're doing something that's unto the Lord. And when you're doing something at church, you're not doing it for the pastor. You're doing it for the Lord. When you're doing something at your job, whether or not it's a, it's a person that pays you, and I'm sure it is, it, you've got a boss, and you need to treat that boss with respect and honor that man or woman, but you're not doing it for them. They're, you do a different type of job when you do it for them. In fact, let's read on, and th- there'll be some explanation on that. It says, children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Well-pleasing. He likes this. It's not just you'll get smacked in the head if you don't. It's pleasing to him. He enjoys this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. We know what that means, so that they will not lose heart. Do you know, a, a dad, a dad is a wonderful thing. A father is a wonderful thing. Thank God. Some, some didn't have a father, and God became that father to them. God filled in those gaps. God sent people in their life that could be a father figure to them. And a mother is a wonderful thing, too. But here he's talking about fathers because the tendency of a father sometimes is to see the way things could have been done or should have been done. And maybe, you, maybe you had your kid help sand that picnic table, and they missed spots. They did a shoddy job. And it's very tempting to want to correct their mistakes, and it's good. You're, you're supposed to correct those things, but you've got to do it in a way that they still don't lose hope, that they're encouraged. You've got to give them equal measure encouragement and correction, that they've got to know that you love them, you support them, that you're behind them. If all you're doing is n- just nitpicking everything they do wrong, they will lose heart. At a certain point, they're going to say, there's nothing I can do to please you. I don't know how many, I mean, pastor's sons, you know, preacher's kids, uh, um, kids that grew up in the church went away and did crazy stuff because they said it was just never good enough for my dad. You look a lot of the, the, I mean, there's bands out there that you'd never guess had anything to do with Jesus. But they came out of the church. A lot of preachers' kids said, I couldn't do anything right. Just felt like it was never enough for my dad. And it often went back to the dad. Barely any of them mentioned their mom. It was their dad. They just didn't feel they could ever please him. That's not how God treats you. See, God is our image of a heavenly, he's our heavenly father, he's our image of a father. You watch how he treats you. You do not meet his standards a lot of the time. 
Yet he loves you. He brings you up. He raises you up. He does discipline you. Because the Bible says if you can't be disciplined, you're illegitimate. If you can't let God discipline you, you're not a real son. You want to be a real son? Let yourself be disciplined and corrected. Nevertheless, what he does, he does in love. He disciplines us as sons, not as slaves, but as sons. Watch how Jesus treated the disciples. Yeah, there were times where he said, you know what the problem is? He doesn't say, the problem is you're just too cute to cast out demons. No, he tells them the truth. He says, you didn't have enough faith or you should have fasted and prayed. I mean, he shoots it straight. He's in the boat and they wake him up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? And he says, why do you have such small faith? So he's not always, you know, roses and lollipops and Valentine's Day cards, but he does shoot them straight and correct them. But do you know what they're left with at the end? Guys like the Apostle John. All of them. They say things like, he loved us. He loved us to the end. We felt the love of God. We experienced the love of God. We believed the love of God. He showed us the Father. Because in the end, what they were left with was that Jesus loved them. Yeah, he corrected them, but more than anything, he taught them and loved them and released them into their gifts, released them into the apostleship. They were prepared for good work. So it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't wear them to the edge. Give them some encouragement. Give them hope. Let them know they're doing a good job so they will not lose heart. Slaves, these are the people we were talking about earlier, the lowest of society. They get their own mention. Isn't this neat? They get their own mention. They're valuable enough to God to get a mention right here. The world may say, why are, you, why are you wasting time on those guys? They'll just do what they're told. But watch, they're given value. They're mentioned specifically here. He says, slaves, in all things, obey those who are masters, your masters on the earth. You know, they, there was a system, a worldly system in place that God did not like. It wasn't from God. So we have two options. Do you throw, overthrow the system? Do you have a slave revolt like Spartacus and just, you know, say, forget this. We're free now. We don't have to do this. Instead, he shows them how to live as Christ. He shows them how to live in the anointing. He shows them how to live the gospel. In fact, in Paul's letter to Titus, he says, slaves, you do this and, and act this way. In so doing, you will adorn your doctrine. You will wear what you believe. You will show that this is real. And your masters, they'll see it. Praise God, I believe they'll be born again. Here, he says, slaves, be obedient. Obey your, those, who, those who are your masters on earth. Do you see that? That's very important. He says, they're your masters on earth. That's an important thing. He's not saying they're your masters. Your masters on earth. Not with external service. What is external service? That's what I was telling you about the garbage. Just getting it done, just doing the job. It's not with external service as those who merely please men. Now, we'd all agree to please your boss, you'd be doing a good job, right? But he says that's merely pleasing men is not enough. He says, but with sincerity of heart. Your boss can't see your heart, but God can. He says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Don't you know that in this situation, these were not perfect bosses. These were not perfect masters. Sometimes it was a messed up system that God did not approve of. And yet he says, in the same way, honor them, obey them. 
but do it for the Lord. Don't do it for them. It's a shocking thing to me when Peter writes, under the reign of Nero, one of the most wicked men to ever rule the Roman Empire. Now we've talked about him before. You know, you know about some of the things he did. Wicked, wicked emperor. Persecuted the Christians cruelly. Didn't just put them to death. Put them to death in a sadistic way. And yet, during the reign of Nero, Peter pens a letter to the church. Peter is living in Rome. The heart of Babylon, the heart of the beast. He writes a letter and says, Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. This is stuff you can't do on your own. How do I honor that man who's evil, he's wicked? Yet honor him. In doing so, you'll show Christ. He says in verse 23, whatever you do. So is there anything left out from that? Whatever you do, do your work heartily. So from the heart, from the insides, I believe in the original it says, you know, like from your bowels, like from the very inside of you. That may be a, a gross way to think of it. <laughs> you do it from the very core of your being. Whatever you do, it says whatever you do, do from the very inside of you. Do it from the very, the very core of who you are. As for the Lord, rather than for men. Do you see the rather there? He's not saying as for the Lord as well as men. He says rather than for men. Man, sometimes you're in a bad job. Sometimes you've got a rough boss. Sometimes you're in a stupid situation that you shouldn't be in. And you might be miserable at your work because you work for a moron. <laughs> Sorry. You probably from this point on, don't call him that or her, whatever. She might think, this person should not be my boss. This person is just, ugh. They're, they just, they make the wrong decisions. They're mean. They're stupid. You know, but it doesn't matter. Because you're not working for them. You need to honor them. Just as Peter honored Nero, you honor them. Treat them with honor because, of, because honor can't, is in you. Not because they deserve honor, but because honor is in you. You are an honorable person, so you show honor even when they don't deserve honor. And it says this, do your work heartily. It's for the Lord rather than for men. Work is miserable when you work for a bad boss. It's miserable. It's miserable. You don't want to go to work. You, you hate it. Oh, I dread going to work. You used to be excited. Now you dread it. Well, why don't you just change bosses? Work for the Lord. Work for him. Just say, I'm, I'm working for you. I'm not working for this guy. I'm not working for this lady. I'm working for you. I'm working for the king. I'm doing this because it glorifies God. I am going, if I'm a janitor, those floors are going to be, uh, I mean, as sparkling as they've ever seen them because I work for the king. And you should see his palaces. If you say, well, I, I mean, I work for the highway department. Well, and, and, and they do it this way and they do it this way. Well, I'm going to do my job. Ten times better than everybody else because I'm doing it for the, for the guy that paves his highways with gold. I'm going to do my job right because I'm doing it for him and I, I want to glorify him. I, he's done so much for me. This is only a little thing. And I, I've, you know, if, if, you, if you believe what the Apostle Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter, that, that whatever you do, do in the strength, the, the man who serves, serve in the strength that God provides. 
God's got grace for you to do your job. He's got strength for you to do your job. When you're, I mean, it's not just, and we've said this so many times before, but it needs repeating. Don't wait until your strength runs out and then say, God, I need your strength. God's strength is not a vitamin supplement. It's not meant to just simply go on top when you're weak, then he is strong. Yes, that's true. When I'm weak, he's strong. But guess what? The best, the best is to live like Jesus did and always rely on him. Even when you think you're strong, he's stronger. It says this. Do it for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Listen to this. Some of these people weren't getting paid. Some of them, even if they were getting paid, were not getting paid a fair wage. You want to know how God thinks about that? There were people, some of my ancestors, before the American Civil War that opened the Bible and said that the Bible justified owning another person. You have to pick and choose verses to think that way. You had to skip the verses that came before that said there's no slave or free in the body of Christ. Christ is all, Christ in all. And you're trying to t- convince the courts that this is not a real human. Or let's compromise and say it's three-fifths of a human. It doesn't work. It doesn't match up to the scripture. They use the Bible to back it up, but they miss the whole point. You want to know how God thinks about the oppression of the poor? You need to look all the way from the beginning, spend some time in the minor prophets, major prophets too, book of Psalms. Then move all the way up to the Gospels. Then move to, through the epistles, spend some time in the book of James. And watch how God talks to those that mistreat a certain class of people and step on other people's backs to get rich. He doesn't talk to them very nicely. In fact, the book of James says, Mourn, weep, look what your riches are costing you. So in no words, nowhere in this Bible does it say that it's right to do that. But people took it, they misused it, they abused it. But here's what God is doing. Even for these slaves that aren't getting any money, even for those that aren't getting paid a just wage, he says, don't worry about it. Do your work as if you were getting paid all the money in the world because Your paycheck doesn't come from those people. Your real paycheck comes from God himself. You will receive a reward of the inheritance. And guys, if you know what his inheritance is, it's limitless. You're going to receive a reward from God. He is your wage payer. He is the one who pays your salary. He is your source. I don't care what they pay you. He pays the ultimate paycheck. So if God calls you to do a job that's beneath your skill set, do it if he told you to do it. And just watch him supply. God told you to do a job. I mean, if God told you to do a job that made lots of money, don't ever put your hope in that money. Because that's not your source. He's my source. And he says to these slaves, you're not getting paid fair. Don't worry about it. I'm going to pay you back. You're going to get, I'm going to get you a fair wage. It comes from me, not from them. So work for me and not for people. And I'll pay you. I'll reward you. He says this, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. 
For he who does wrong. So now listen. He's speaking to the inequality here. He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. It's no coincidence that this verse is sandwiched between a, a message to slaves and a message to masters. God is saying, I will balance the books. I will make sure you're rewarded fairly, and I'll make sure you're rewarded for what you did. In the next verse, chapter 4, and we're just we're going to end with this verse. He says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. Now, the New American Standard, which is what I'm reading from, I don't think puts that as well as it could. The King James, for instance, says, um, Grant to them what is just and equal. In other words, in many translations, many scholars would agree that what he's saying to the masters that are believers is, Pay your people a fair wage. Pay them fair, pay them justly. I don't care what your neighbors do. I don't care what they'll settle for. You're not, you're not just doing it for them. You're doing it for me. Pay them fairly. Pay them just and fair, knowing that you too, uh-oh, have a master in heaven. But that changes everything, doesn't it? When you realize my employees may be my employees, but I am his. I've got a master up there, and he's keeping the final count. And I, if I treat them, I need to treat them well because he's watching. It's just like being a pastor, right? The word pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd. It comes from the scripture. It talks about uh, uh, certain people in the body that would be shepherds, be overseers. But they're merely under shepherds. Merely under shepherds because we all serve the great shepherd. And it says that, you know, you're taking care of not your sheep, but his sheep. That's an important task. You better treat them right. You better treat them fair. You better not try to dominate them. You better not try to abuse them because then you have to answer the chief shepherd and he doesn't take kindly to abuse of his sheep. What's the point of all that we've read? We've put on this new self so it's changed who we are. It's changed how we live. You know what? The culture he's talking to was messed up. His culture he was talking to wasn't right. But he's showing believers how to be light even in a bad system. How to be light even in a messed up culture. How to be light in a messed up society. You can be light in a messed up job. You know, I'm not telling you God wants you there for the rest of your life. If he told you to go, you go. If he tells you to stay, you stay. But wherever you are, you're a light for him. You can be anointed to do his work. You can glorify God wherever you are. Don't wait for the situation to get perfect before you do your best. I mean, you look at Joseph. How bad can the situation get? He's in a bad family who sell him into who first try to kill him. And then we could kill him, but then we could sell him and make some money. So let's sell him into slavery. Then he gets traded to, a, you know, through slave traders, he gets traded to a, a slave owner. That he starts to earn his trust. And, and just because he is Joseph and the, the anointing of God is on him and the blessing of God is on him, he rises to the top of the slaves. See, wherever you put Joseph, he's going to rise to the top. Rose to the top of his family, rises to the top of the slaves. But then that system was not perfect. It was not a perfect master. He was not a perfect, it was not a perfect environment. And the master's wife accuses him of doing something he didn't do. So he's thrown in prison. While he gets to be in prison, he's put in charge of all the prisoners. He rises to the top again. It's not a perfect situation. Do you know how many believers would be 
sold into slavery and say, well, that's it. This is wrong. I shouldn't be this way. This should, I mean, I should never be here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just not going to do anything. I don't have to. This is stupid. I shouldn't have to be a slave. I'm, a, I'm my daddy's favorite. I had a fancy coat. I shouldn't have to be here. You don't know. I mean, I got the best piece of chicken every night. You can't make me do this. I'm a prince. I had a dream. I was a prince. You're all going to bow down to me, so I'm going to sit here and not do anything. No. He did whatever he did. He did. I mean, he glorified God. He just did his best. God elevated him in every position. He gets put in prison. That's a bad deal. I didn't even do anything. Thrown in prison. Still glorifies God then. He becomes trustworthy. He be, I mean, he just is such a good prisoner that they make him in charge of all the other prisoners. Well, as you know, he eventually rises to the very second in command in all of Egypt, just under Pharaoh, basically the man who runs the show. Because Pharaoh wants to sit back and not have to do much. He's going to let Joseph do all the real governing. Joseph basically is ruling Egypt, and God used Joseph to set it up so that his family would be fed in a time of famine by the bounty of Egypt. Daniel. Daniel is a, is, is a nobleman. We know from the book of Daniel he's a nobleman. He's well off. He's a, one of the top families in Israel. Sorry, in Judah. And yet, the Babylonians come, they conquer, and they take the nobles. He's forced into serving the king. He's forced into being a part of his little posse. And you can believe what you want to believe. There's a very good chance he got castrated in the process. Bad deal. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> that just stole my joy. <laughs> but he rises to the very top. He's not in a perfect situation. I mean, you look at the guys he served. Guys like Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Belshazzar. I mean, these are, these are wackos for the most part. I mean, they're, they're pa just power mad and, and, and just regular mad. And yet he serves them. And he de genuinely just desires them to do well. They prospered because of Daniel. In a bad system, he rose to the top and he did his best. Even when they mistreated him, he did his best. He glorified God. They prospered because he was advising them. He didn't try to set them up for failure. He set them up for success. Come on, guys. Esther is in a bad situation. If you've ever read anything about crazy Xerxes, it's just a nut job. Crosses, I mean, builds a, builds a bridge. Wants to build a bridge to Greece to conquer Greece. Storm comes. The bridge falls down. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm so angry. I'm gonna, I want every builder of that bridge beheaded. Not their fault. Heads chopped off. Not only that. I want you to whip. I want you to whip that river. Whip it. Whip it good. You just begin to lash it and throw chains on it so it knows that I'm its boss. This is the guy you're married to. I mean, his previous wife got fired because she wouldn't come out in the party and, 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 and in front of his drunken friends and show off. This is the guy that says... No, you can't just come and visit me whenever you want. I have to summon you. If I don't summon you, you could die just for visiting. And yet, God uses Esther in a bad situation. Don't wait till you have the perfect job. 
the perfect boss, the perfect people. Just glorify God. Wherever you are, don't work for them. Work for Him. Work for Him. And He'll reward you. He keeps the books. He balances the, the, the paychecks. He'll make sure that you're rewarded fairly. He'll make sure that His kingdom's going to rule and reign not only in you but around you and, and will rapidly advance and will overcome. But it's so important that we put on that new self because if you, if you let that old way of thinking, you'll get, you'll get bitter, you'll, get, you'll start to grumble. I mean, I mean, it's so important that you guard your mouth because once you start grumbling, the rest of your work goes with it. I mean, everything goes with it. Your attitude is hard to bounce back once you've given in to grumbling and complaining. But you let God in the situation. You see, as long as you're grumbling and complaining, you're, you're stuck with that job. But once you let God in the situation, you begin to thank Him and praise Him in those times. He comes into the situation. His hands are with your hands. He blesses what you're doing. Let Him in. Do it for His glory. Watch what He can do. Watch that evil boss get touched by the Spirit of God. Begin to see there's something different about you. There's something radically different about you. I don't understand what's your deal. And I've seen it several times. Sometimes they're just so impressed with you, they'll promote you. And sometimes they, they, they get sick of that silly little smile on your face and they want to see if they can knock it off. But you just keep doing what you do. And they'll see that it's not external. Because they're used to external service, guys. The world is used to external service. But when they begin to see it's not external, this is coming from the root of who you are. They'll know that there's something different about you. They'll know that there is something different about you. And, and the Bible says if they see your light, Jesus said if they see your light, one day they're going to glorify God because of your light. Let it shine. Amen.